This is Winning with ADHD, a podcast for parents to empower students. Build up your ADHD teens so that they recognize their own talents, creativity, and uniqueness. Get tips and tricks to help overcome executive functioning challenges. Listen to stories and experiences of what worked and what did not. Together, let's find ways to build your child's self-esteem and start winning with ADHD. And now, here's your host, Heather Walker. Hey guys, welcome to the Winning with ADHD podcast. Today, I have with me Christian Hansen, who is the author of The Influence Mindset. He has worked on the admissions committee at BYU and has also been the associate director at UC Irvine for and also works in college consulting to help your college students get into the best school. Welcome, Christian. Thank you so much, Heather. Great to be here. So today, I'd love to start out by talking about you know, the, the book that you've written, The Influence Mindset, and how you are using this to help college students to get into the college that they want, to be able to position themselves in the best way, but even also into transitioning into a career. Absolutely. Well, first of all, it's so great to be here, and thank you so much for inviting me. Um, so, yeah, you know, the influence mindset—it has an interesting backstory. So, essentially, in my career, you know, I, I've worked in higher education in helping high school students get into college, college students get into grad school, and then people getting into their careers, right? And I did that on the undergraduate admissions committee at BYU. And then later, as you mentioned, I was the associate director of the MBA program at UC Irvine. And I also helped set up internship programs for LG Electronics in South Korea and China. And so you have this, I have this really interesting background where, you know, I've sat helping students go through this first major decade of development, right? From high school all the way to their first jobs. And as I was sitting there reviewing and interviewing thousands and thousands of applicants, I realized, you know, hang on a second. I actually have a front row seat in seeing how people deal with one of the biggest challenges that we all have to deal with, right? And that is how do you stand out, when everybody else is trying to stand out too. And so I started to take notes. I started to figure out what master communicators did to stand out from the crowd and to make their message rise above the noise. And I then started to teach it to other people as well. And so the influence mindset is, is the accumulation of all my research and my stories and firsthand experiences that helps people learn the art and science of getting people to choose you. And that's what the influence mindset does. And I, and I wrote it specifically for not just high school students, right? A high school student can pick this up and read it. But because I have so many stories and also kind of parables in some ways of, of real life experiences, anyone from a grad student to a career seeker and even a, a front facing salesperson can read it and understand, okay, this is how I make my message stand out from the crowd. I think that's really cool because um, as I went through high school and into college and even into getting my first job, I was trying to make myself actually look like everybody else. I had totally the wrong mindset around it because I thought that I needed to have these certain pieces and I was just trying to mimic what everybody else was looking like. And right. you talk about that in your book. So do you have any maybe stories that you want to share around um, everybody looking alike and, and what results that they get from that? For sure. So, okay. Essentially here's like the, the core concept here 
And that is, you know, 99% of the time, you and I, we live and operate in what I call a performance environment. And the performance environment, success is determined by whether or not you can perform well. This is not rocket science, okay? I'm not, this is not some vast complicated thing. And people may be wondering, well, what, what's, what's all special about that? Well, here's the thing is that if we in our school system and in our, in our educations and our jobs learn to equate success with trying to prove that we're well-rounded, smart and capable and qualified, uh, then we, we learned how to do that pretty well. But then every so often, you and I enter what I call selective environments like college applications or job interviews or even sales pitches, where success is no longer based on being smart, capable or qualified. It comes down to whether or not a decision maker chooses you over everybody else. And the problem is, is that most people walk into these selective environments and they don't realize that the game has changed. And so they walk in doing the song and dance that works in most other places. But all of a sudden, in these really unique, you know, 1% of the time situations, the game has changed. And if you don't adapt or change your approach, then you're not going to stand out and the doors of opportunity are going to kind of stay shut and gonna, you're going to feel a bit stymied. So in, in many ways, my, my, my mission is to overthrow the tyranny of the well-rounded. Uh, and what I mean by that is, you know, how many times have you been heard or told, hey, just be well-rounded. That's what colleges are looking for. And, you know, the, the problem is, is that if you walk in just showing, well, I'm really well-rounded, then that actually kind of shoots you in the foot because, well, everybody else is well-rounded too. And you're missing the opportunity to stand out. So an example of this, and, and, and I have had this, this version of this conversation literally hundreds and hundreds of times where parents come in. So the decisions uh, for, for you know, the undergrad office were, were released typically uh, middle of February or end of February. And it was always released late on a Friday because we'd want to hit the send button for the admissions decisions. And then you lock the door to the office <laughs> and you run out to the parking lot as soon as possible because the phone calls start coming in within a five seconds and you just want to be as far away as that as possible. So that's how it would always work for admissions. We'd send it out and just get the heck out of there, typically around President's Day weekend, because then we'd have three days to kind of prepare ourselves. <laughs> And then we show up to the office on Tuesday morning, feeling bright and refreshed. And our email inboxes are just overflowing with parents and students who are clamoring to be heard and, and who, about the great injustice. And it's kind of funny because, you know, uh, we're as an admissions officer, we are either loved and adored and poured over with adulation or like... <laughs> excoriated, hated, right, and, right. you know, effigies burnt <laughs> out in the streets. So, you know, it's this dual, this dual existence that we have to live, but parents would come in and this is how this conversation would go. You know, if they were, if their child was denied, you know, how could you deny this child? Because, you know, my child, he's smart, he's capable, he's qualified, right? He's done varsity sports. He's done, you know, uh, he's been part of his faith community. He has really good grades and really good GPA, you know, and, and ACT or SAT scores. He's rescued this many kittens from trees and he's done all these amazing things. How on, can't you see that this student can hack it? Now, what they don't understand is that 
certainly in his environment, in this student's environment, uh, that those are great things because not every student uh, has those things. And so in their environment, having those qualifications makes them stand out. But at a competitive university, those qualifications are just simply the baseline. Right. Now, that does not mean, and I want to be very clear, that mm-hmm. this means that parents need to then push their children to, to extra perform. And, and it's not just the varsity, you have to get to state, you know, and I'm not saying that because that's not healthy, nor is that helpful. But rather, there's a different way of looking at these problems and a different focus that uh, helps students reframe their efforts. And, and essentially, this all boils down to, I've sat across the desk from too many students who, or let's just talk about those who are admitted, right? Too many students only learn how to get into college, but they never figure out why they're going in the first place, right? right. And so they get into college and all of a sudden, all of their skills become obsolete on day one of college. All of the stuff you learned, you know, varsity football, well, unless you're on the football team at university, it doesn't matter how far you can throw that football to the end zone, you know, or, you know, your, um, all the clubs or everything you did just to stand out to college reviewers, it's, it's obsolete on day one of college because college is used to, to create the vision you want for your life and, and, and what you want to do. But because most of us use college to figure out what we want in life, we enter college and we struggle because college is used, is, is designed to help you build the life you want. So what's your recommendation for a high school student getting ready to go into college and everybody's asking them, so what do you want to do when you grow up? And their answer is, I don't know. And so all they've heard their entire life is, well, you need to go to college because higher education pays and that's what you need to do to get a good job. But you're completely right that if you don't know what your goal is, that it does make it really difficult to be successful even while you're there because you've lost your purpose. So what are your recommendations for these kids that are getting ready to go into college and maybe aren't sure what they want to do? Sure. I would change the question. Uh, I have a, a personal ax to grind against the question, what do you want to be when you grow up? Because I still don't know myself. Um, but when we ask students that, I think that's really uh, unhelpful because students are not literate in careers like adults are, right? Um, and so it's like asking them to speak a completely different language. So when I work with students, and I work with families one-on-one and, and helping them through this process, I change the question. Instead of what is it that you want to be when you grow up or what job do you want? I, I help them think in terms of what problems do you want to solve in the world? Because students, the, the barrier to entry to understanding and becoming literate in problems that are around them is a lot easier than what you want to do when you grow up. The fact is 85% of the jobs that will exist in 2030 have not been invented yet. But I guarantee that the problems that people have today are still going to exist then. So if we can help students look at the world in terms of problems that they're interested in solving then help them become literate in that and then look at what are the careers that are solving those problems from different angles, then they can become much more equipped and effective in in discerning and creating that vision for their life. Now, there's some huge benefits to this because um, one of the things that uh, just is really overwhelming to college reviewers and really annoying is when we get essays that talk about passion and students say, well, I'm really passionate about this or I'm passionate about that. And that's 
that's fine and lovely, but frankly, I don't care uh, because everyone else and their dog are writing essays telling me how passionate they are about these things. And if I'm overwhelmed and I have to choose somebody, you're not going to stand out. Plus, if we lead students to think, well, just do what you're passionate about and you never work a day in your life. You've, have you heard that before? Right. I have heard that before. Right? That's just excrement. We need to get rid of that <laughs> because it's not true. Um, it's not true. <laughs> right. Because it's teaching them to think that if they don't wake up as an adult singing songs of praises and joy and leap out of bed in an ecstatic state of frenzy to go and get their work and their career, then something's wrong with them. Right. Well, yeah. And I can see that. I actually see that happen to other people on a different kind of topic of like what marriage is supposed to look like, right. That you should, and, and the perception of how that should be long-term, but it, you know, it shifts and it changes and no, not every day is going to be wonderful with lovebirds. Right. So it's just kind of one of those things of doing our kids a service of letting them know the reality of what life is like. There are some days that you go to school and you really enjoy it. And there's other days where it's not such a great day. And I think work is actually the same way. So they actually have some experiences to pull from of what it's like to do something you enjoy, but also have some other tasks or things that maybe aren't as enjoyable. Yeah. Well, and when we switch the framework from do what you're passionate about to well, what problems are you interested in solving? Then this changes everything because then they start to accept that, you know, there's going to be some challenge and difficulty in life. And when you're a problem solver, then there's going to be some, you got to have some grit and resilience to handle that. And you're accepting and you're building an identity of, you know, it's going to be challenging at days, but that's what problem solving is all about. Right. But then the second thing is that this, this is going to translate to the college experience because you know, again, when everyone else's skills become obsolete on day one, but if you have prepared yourself to think college is a place that I'm going to go to learn how to solve problems in the world better, then all of a sudden you're going to wake up and you're going to have a lot, you know, better skill set. Um, so I have, uh, and, and the third benefit to this is when it comes to actually thinking about careers, you're going to be thinking at a, a much more strategic level. Um, so in my book, I found this really interesting piece of research that, uh, when you are perceived as being a strategic thinker, then you are, uh, perceived as being nearly, nearly 50 times more valuable than everyone else is merely highly skilled. And so when you walk in the door and you're like, I'm here to solve a problem. And I, this is the problem I'm passionate about solving. You're going to stand out to all the other passion people. Because you're going to be seen as a strategic thinker, therefore, as nearly 50 times more valuable. But the last point I want to make about this is I have a, um, a sister who is immensely gifted as an athlete. In fact, she's an Olympian. And I say this is the proof of the genetic variation that can exist in you know, homogenous family units. And uh, so <laughs> the fact that you know, I have a sister, is, my parents had me, and then they said, let's give the gene pool three more tries, and it worked, got better. Um, and <laughs> So, you know, after she, uh, she's literally in the top 10 in the world for what she does. That's amazing. And after her Olympic experience, uh, she was phenomenal. Um, I remember uh, having a conversation with her where she was now trying to kind of enter human mortal existence with the rest of us. Right. Uh, and, you know, she, she got a job offer from a company and she kind of was a bit disheartened at the low wage that they offered her initially. And she's like, I'm an Olympian. I should at least be worth this much. Right. And she stated a number uh, that was significantly higher. 
And, and I kind of thought about it for a second. I'm like, you know, no doubt you have a very refined and honed skill set in something that's very specific. But you, if you want to earn that much money, you need to be able to solve a problem that costs that much money for that employer. And so you got to be delivering that kind of value if that's the money that you want to get. And you can totally do that, but you just got to learn how to do it. So if we, so a lot of times students will graduate college and they're like, well, I, I deserve a job because I have this, these, this buffet of qualifications. And yet what's really happening inside an employer's mind is not, oh, if only I have somebody out there who's well-rounded and qualified to do a, a large you know, set of things. No, employers hire you because they have a very specific problem that they need you to solve. And if you can walk in the door communicating that, then you're going to be entering the conversation that's in their head, not just, you know, look at all the options that I can do. So again, changing instead of what do you want to be when you grow up to, well, what, what problems in the world do you want to solve? That just is a monumental tectonic shift that's going to set your student up for a completely different level of success, mental health, and well-being. Right. One of the, uh, um, I completely agree. Um, that is a great way to reframe that question and maybe even cause them to think about it a little bit more rather than just kind of shrug their shoulders and kind of say, I don't know. Right. Like yeah. I'm just doing what I'm told. Right. Yeah. Um, I, one of the things that you said though, that kind of stood out to me a minute ago was about, um, all of the extracurricular activities and the different things that they're involved in. I've seen lots of families, um, put a lot of pressure on that of you need to be involved in all of these things. Is there maybe a proper balance of being able to have experiences so that you can showcase how you can end up problem solving um, and not completely spend your high school career just building up this resume for college? Like, do you have any recommendations around that area to where they're not so focused on just building up their resume for college to, like you said, just look like everybody else and yeah. be able to take advantage of that in the best way. Sure. And this, my, my question would be, you know, why are you engaging in that activity? Right. So oftentimes the, the thought is, well, I want my kid to stand out to colleges. Right. And so I'm going to, you know, pursue this thing now. And that's a, that's a good thing. Right. Um, but I think the energy and the spirit and the intention behind why we do something uh, is just as important as how much we do it. Now, I'm going to take a couple steps back here, right? And this, I, I think we, one of the biggest problems is that I think we give colleges way too much power, okay? Way too much power. And there's this belief that if I do not get into, or if my child does not get into this specific university, then it's doom and destruction and they're gonna end up sleeping in a gutter. Um, when that is just quite frankly not true. Now, what, when I work with my you know, client families one-on-one, -on -one, I help them think of it in, the, in this way. I firmly believe that college is nothing but, it is only, it is just, it is merely nothing more than a tool that you are hiring to help you accomplish something bigger in life. And when you look at college as merely just a glorified hammer on the hammer wall at Home Depot, it doesn't matter which hammer you get. It matters what you want to do with it, 
right? So if we, I mean, think about how insane this is, right? We base our lives and our value and our worth and our potential on whether or not we pass the whims of some hidden admissions counselor who's going to look at your application for five minutes and then check a box or not. That's why we're doing all these things. That's why we're pushing our kids to exhaustion is so that we will fit some hidden magical parameter, some black checklist that we have no idea what it is. Right. Boy, that seems like a lot of effort and a lot of human capital spent on something that's not a very good return. But if we take the power back and say, you know what, my success or my child's success is based on what is their vision for their life and college is merely an accessory to that, then that changes how we are intentionality and the spirit behind why we do certain things. So with that shift, right, that's why I asked, what's the intention, right? If it's just look for good for college, then we've got a problem. But if it's, if we're pursuing something to help our child develop their skills, you know, right. I, my parents did not enroll me in soccer to become a really good soccer player. My parents enrolled me in soccer to learn teamwork. Right. So um, if, if you're, if you are coaching your child to say, Oh, do basketball to become the best at basketball. Well, I'm sorry, but there's going to be a lot, hundreds of other kids who are better at basketball, no matter how good you are. Right. Um, but if you are telling your child, are you doing a sport because basketball is not about basketball, but it's really an opportunity to learn about teamwork or leadership or mentorship or, you know, a number persistence, discipline, then we're in a healthy place that's going to be a lot more developmentally friendly. And also we're, we're building character and the types of qualities that you want your child to have. But right. we, I love that. Right? Um, that's great because um, really that is what we're looking for. And, and from, you know, what you've been sharing of, we need to figure out how we can take our experiences and apply them to be able to problem solve and, and showcase that when we're applying for a college, it doesn't necessarily mean that you were involved in 10 different things. It means that you were involved in things that you enjoyed. Um, you were also able to learn, take some experiences from, and then be able to take that and apply it to other situations and be able to showcase how you can apply that to other situations rather than just literally the long list of I've accomplished these types of things. Yeah. And again, think about what's the conversation happening in admissions officers heads, or even what's the conversation happening in happening in recruiters heads when they're, you know, one day looking at a resume, it's not, if only I had somebody who could play basketball and uh, underwater basket weaving and can draw <laughs> and can do ballet and is a you know boy scout or girl scout and sold this many cookies, you know, that's not what they're asking. They're asking, I'm looking for someone who has leadership is or discipline, is kind, is or is building people. Mm-hmm. And So you need to translate your experiences into those higher value commodities that are what recruiters or admissions officers are really looking for. Right. That's the mistake that most people make again, because they're raised in a performance environment where it's how many boxes can I check? Yep. But in the selective environment, it's what's the value you're going to bring. So in my job, I interview to add people to our team. And when we ask questions, We'll ask questions that aren't even related to the job specifically, right? What we're looking for is for them to share stories with us 
And every story that I hear, I'm able to pull out certain characteristics about them or how they show up in certain situations. And so from, you know, an employer standpoint of interviewing and adding people to our team, I can completely relate to what you're saying from an admission standpoint of we're looking for people to come into our college and be able to offer something to it, to offer something, you know what I'm saying? That's what I'm looking for as an employer. So um, one of the things that I was thinking about now is as um, talking about an ADHD factor in this is that a lot of times um, as a parent of a child with ADHD, I have had concerns about is she going to be able to get into college? Is she going to be able to um, showcase where her strengths are? Because while um, I operate from an influence mindset in a lot of ways, oftentimes when fear sets in, I revert back to this performance mindset. And so as I read your book, I was like, yes, I do that in these situations. And when I am in these situations, I kind of revert back. And so the thought process and the questions of to myself and with my daughter is, is how are we going to showcase where she can perform well when maybe her grades aren't as great as they could have been because she struggles with turning in assignments, but she understands the concepts, those types of things. So when you have a student with ADHD, um, should parents mention this as they are um, applying for colleges? Should it be a part of their application? Should they share that or should they keep that to themselves? What's your recommendation there? Absolutely share it. Now, but you, you need to share it in, in, in terms of showing how this is going to help a student be successful. Now, contrary to common belief, um, admissions reviewers are not one-eyed cretins that wake up in the morning and drink pickle juice and wonder how we can ruin your lives today. Uh, you know, we, we sincerely want to help students succeed. <clears throat> and so if a student has a mental health or an emotional health issue or, you know, with ADHD, um, certainly talk about it because the last thing we want to do is admit you or admit your student, but do so in a way that that's when they're not completely capable of going to of succeeding. Because college, think about it, it's the first time away from home, and you know this is their figuring out who they are as an adult. And if their first time on you know taking the training wheels off, uh, that they if they really crash and burn, that's going to have some ripple effects for a long time. And I've I've seen that happen where parents were got too involved in the process intentionally hid things uh with the intent of just trying to you know scoot the kids under you know into the system but then they they ultimately failed to support their child and that child crashed and burned in a disastrous way uh and that that that's had some really bad effects so for the sake of your child if you're think about it if your goal here is just to get into a college over the well-being of your child then again we've given colleges way too much power. You're, we're not thinking about colleges in a healthy way. So we do need to address it. But what's more important is show us how um, your child has developed or grown or is handling and is able to still achieve with this skill set. So, and, and the, I want us to kind of think about it like this. How on earth did they ever figure out that Superman was Superman? You know, he didn't just live on his farm in Kansas doing these incredible feats of, of stuff, right? He had this incredible strength. He had, you know, these skills and abilities and everything. But if he just stayed on his farm, then nothing would have ever happened. And that would be a very nice, boring 
television show, <laughs> you know, like the guy could, you know, so clean up crops faster than anyone else in the world. Well, that, that's just fine and dandy. The moment the world figures out Superman can do what Superman does is the moment he translates his skills and actions into serving and blessing other people, period, end of story. So uh, with your, if his child has ADHD, let's think of them as they have a super skill, right? They absolutely do. They for sure do. And if you spend all your time trying to contain it on the family farm, then it's not going to do anyone any lick of good. But the moment we can find a way for someone with this super skill and translate it into blessing the lives of someone else in some way, and then consistently do it, and maybe then to scale it up a little bit to then expand how it's serving and blessing the lives of others, that's when we're now communicating and we're entering the conversation that's happening in recruiters' heads. So again, when I work with my you know one-on-one clients and I have a whole pre application coaching program, but where we, we work on building these profiles of harnessing this. And the question that I ask my students is, all right, who's someone around you that has a problem? That should be an easy question. Now, which of these, which of the, why do they have a problem? And, and what, what is the problem? And how can you help that person with that problem? Because once you're able to help one person with a problem, chances are you'll see other people with that same kind of problem too. And how can you then expand how you're blessing and serving, not just one, not just two, but maybe then a small group and, and increasing it to a larger group of people. Uh, so again, take the super skill off the farm and start putting into action, blessing yeah. the lives of others. And again, once you do that, your student's going to find confidence. They're going to find a way they constructively be engaged with those around them, number one. But then number two, you're entering the conversation and you're translating these important skill sets into ways that people outside of the family farm is going to understand their value and being able to work with them. I love that example of Superman and taking it off of the family farm. I think that is, I probably will be sharing that again at some point. Oh, good. That is amazing. Um, And exactly what one of my goals are is to have everyone recognize that there are these amazing characteristics and traits and skill sets that are housed within those who have ADHD. And if I compare it to your selective environment versus your performance or your achievement environment, um, they get pushed down a lot because everybody's looking at it from this performance environment or what you've achieved or what box you've checked off. And those with ADHD aren't great at checking off boxes. That's not one of their skill sets. However, they are amazing problem solvers. They're amazing at looking things at things differently. And when they find something of interest, um, like they just think about it and they just churn it and churn it until they come up with something that works. And I've watched that happen with friends who have children with ADHD. I've watched it with my own daughter um, and how she has looked at things and been able to come up with something that I would have never have thought of. And so one of to kind of even come back to the beginning where, you know, I commented that when I was entering college, I wanted to look like everybody else. I wanted to check off all the boxes because that's what I was told I needed to do. Yeah. And those with ADHD, in my opinion, automatically stand out in this selective environment of how they can help solve problems, how they can help show up differently and showcase those things. And they usually tend to have, um, 
some charisma about them as well and are able to, you know, show that passion that they have and how they speak and how they talk about it and the ideas that they come up with. So I actually think that they have a lot of things going for them. I think it's us parents oftentimes that get in the way a little bit of thinking that we need to check off these boxes for this achievement mindset in order for them to be successful. And think about it. How many times when you were, I mean, we are all operating in some degree of education educational PTSD. Okay. Let's <laughs> For just, sure. Let's Absolutely. Throw that out in the open here, right? Because how many times uh, do you remember in school where, uh, I mean, think about the grading system. You, a teacher starts with a hundred, but oh, you missed that little fact. Okay. So that's, you dot your docked a point, right? Oh, you missed that little thing. Okay. Dock a point there. And eventually we whittle down the grade to get to where you're at. And it's a bunch of just little paper cuts, you know, in our souls that then reaches where we are. And so in some ways, so that that's how we're told to look out and be afraid of things, right? So in school, it's a game of how do I, you know, check every box and expand this and so that every nook and cranny and crevice is filled. How do I spread this as wide as possible? Um, and that's how we've learned to, that's how we've been kind of fear learned <laughs> to, yes. uh, right? to equal success. And so then as parents, you know, you're trying to help your kid and you're dealing with this educational PTSD of, okay, well, I want my child to be successful. And therefore that means we have to spread as thin and, and make this as well-rounded uh, as possible. But that is simply not how ADHD kids work, you know? And so instead of, um, you know, instead of thinking in terms of a pancake, how do I spread this as thin? I, I, I tell people, you know, illiterate, always avoid alliteration. But, uh, you know, instead of a pancake, think of a pound cake, right? A pound cake is condensed. It, it, it's, it has a shape of specific form, you know, and uh, let's, let's create something that's very clear. Because again, A, it's, it's, I think, emotionally difficult and damaging to try and spread yourself so thin, you're most likely to break. But when you start to consolidate, think about what is your vision and mission, uh, that's just going to help out. And it's, that's what's geared towards ADHD kids. And, you know, don't tell this to admissions officers, but that's what's going to make them stand out Yeah, is when you have a clear message, a clear vision, right? A clear flavor that you're bringing to the table. Yeah, I think um, what I'm taking also from what you're saying is, is that we really just need to simplify this. I think um, in general, we've made it out to be this really complex thing that you have to do all of these activities, you have to check off all these boxes. But really, if you boil it down to the simple fact of what is the goal that we're trying to accomplish for this this child, right, as a parent, um, or even for the student to say, okay, what is my goal? And if we keep that super simple, it reduces the overwhelm and maybe the anxiety that also comes with it, which is heavily in the space of ADHD naturally. Um, And then it just makes it really simple to decide what you want to do or not do, right? Do I want to be on the soccer team or not? Does this fit in towards my goal? True. And does it um, develop the larger skill set? So the other thing is, um, is not, is not just simplifying, but changing our paradigm, uh, changing our perspective. What I mean by that is instead of, you know, is the goal to get into college? Um, Well, I guess, but the real goal is I want this, my child to be a functional adult who's contributing to society. That's the real goal, right? That's why we're going to college. 
Yes. And so once we put that as the marker, then that changes the questions that we're asking now. And all of a sudden the importance of, you know, this activity or that activity, it changes completely to uh, what are characteristics and, you know, things. And, and I think, again, we, back to this thing, colleges have way too much power. And if we, we, we just feel like failure is we're all standing on this precipice and failure is just around the corner. Or, or if you take one misstep, then it's just, you're plummeting down. And that's not the case because how many uh, incredible stories have come from people who, yeah, they made mistakes. That's okay. But then in the process of healing themselves or others, they gain incredible gold. And then when they resurface, or, you know, then, wow, the impact that they're able to make on the world is absolutely phenomenal. So it's okay to let some organic knees get scraped here, you know, um, and to let the process be organic. And, you know, the goal is functional adult who's thriving, happy, and contributing to those around us, right? All of a sudden, then that changes the question of what college and how, and what activity and how. I love what you talked about with, um, you know, that failure is kind of part of the process. Um, a couple of things that come to mind with that is there's a book by Ryan holiday called the obstacle is the way talks exactly about how you reach an obstacle. Okay. Do you just stand there and say, that's it. Do you climb over it? Do you go around it? Right. And ultimately when you figure out a way through the obstacle is really where you ended up or it should have been anyway. And the process through learning through that. Also, if I apply this um, to, since I employ or hire a lot of people and work with a lot of teams, when we're at work, it's not a checkbox of, do you know the answer? Or do you not know the answer? It's literally working through the problems and finding the answer every single day. And so unfortunately, when you're coming out of school, That's not how you view the world, because as you've already described, it's I'm going to dock you for each of these little things. Oh, you don't remember what year this happened or whatever. But instead, in real life, it's like, okay, cool. How do I find the answer? Where do I go to get this? How can I do you know what I'm saying? Work this to be able to reach our goal as an, you know, as a company or in my role, in my department of where I'm working, all those kinds of things. And so I love that you applied that towards an earlier step in the process. And I think that as parents, if we can come back and take our experiences that we have, and kind of, like you said, have this shift and how we look at it and be able to teach our kids this, that they'll be better set up to handle when things don't go right and know that this is part of the process and that us as parents or adults or whoever you're encountering have literally been through all of that, but we're not sharing it. We're not showing that to our kids. And I think maybe it's because as maybe as parents, a lot of us are saying, well, I know that you need to take these steps, but we're not really sharing the reasons why so that our kids can see it and understand and have that bigger perspective viewpoint of where they're headed. Yeah. And that we, we sometimes, um, because we feel so much for kids and everything we want to, to avoid, help them avoid problems and stuff, but, um, you know, problems are the pathway really. Right. And, uh, and it just simply, it comes down to, we have to make a paradigm shift uh, to, to just, you know, we have to reframe our, our perspectives of, you know, it's okay. These kids are remarkably resilient, remarkably smart, and they, they want to be happy and successful just as much too. And we just got to kind of let them, you know, get, have the space 
uh, and, uh, and and again, the, it's not protecting them from problems, but helping them learn how to cope with and ask the right questions to reframe right. the problems and look at it the right way. Absolutely. Well, Christian, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, sure. We ended on talking about getting kids into college and no, having that change in our how we perceive it. Um, you do um, college coaching, and yeah. so they can go to topcollegeguru.com to yep. check that out. And then also, if anybody wants to check out your book, The Influence Mindset, they can go to thechristianhansen.com to find you there as well. Yep, Hansen, H-A-N-S-E-N, and it's available on Audible, Amazon, and all that. And uh, my my whole thing is, if all I do is teach families or kids how to write witty or snazzy essays, ultimately, I will have failed them. Because I want them to change their perspective and their thinking about what college is, what their purpose is, what their vision is, you know, let's create a, a roadmap for their life. And then let's talk about writing because writing is the easy part. Um, and, and so it's all about capturing, taking the power back, making them understand that their worth and value is entirely within their own. And it's okay to start small with serving and blessing the life of simply one person and then repeating that. And that's what really it's all about. Absolutely. One other thing I wanted to add, you said to me recently, when should parents be starting the college process? So I, you know, there's a a lot of different ways to think about it. I personally really think it's important to let kids just kind of have some organic time, uh, you know, freshman, sophomore year. But um, if parents are able to think on this level, then they can kind of give guidance on that. Typically, I begin my client work uh, beginning of June, uh, not beginning of June, but January of junior year. And then uh, through like the nine or 10 months that then equal, you know, culminates in the essays and applications being completed. Um, but if, if, if you read the influence mindset, it's going to parents can start thinking at a higher level and know kind of how to nudge their kids in the first couple of years. But uh, my work, I, I typically begin with clients uh, beginning of junior year and then uh, and then that translates into building their profiles out and to helping them really hone in. And then we get into the essay application uh, construction, uh, ideally in the summer so that they're done by Labor Day, which is, I mean, right. that's always awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but I think parents need to be thinking about it um, ahead of time and then nudging their students in the right direction. And then that really sets the students up to be successful for that final push. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Sure thing. So, grateful to be here. Winning with ADHD is brought to you by Disrupt ADHD. Head on to disruptadhd.com slash learn more.